you're not like us, that you are perfect. God, there's times where we're impatient. There's times where we think that you're not paying attention or that you don't care. God, forgive us. You do things precisely when you mean to. And you do it out of love for us. Not because we're great, God, not because we've earned it, but because that's just the kind of God you are. Showing kindness and steadfast love to generations. And so we openly acknowledge that we're not worthy to to know your name, to sing your name, to be familiar with you, and yet you invite us in. Your beloved creation, bearers of your image. And scarred though we are, God, you wash us clean with your blood. So Lord Jesus, we pray that you would continue to lead us and guide us, that you'd be tender with our hearts as you shape us to look like you in the way that we treat each other and in the attitudes that we carry in our hearts. We thank you for this time we have together. It's in your name that we pray. Amen. You may be seated. And Kid Nation's going to go back with Uncle Ryan this morning. And I don't know that Matt needs any introduction, but this is Pastor Matt Wheelock. He is uh, administrative pastor um, for our collection of churches, and so he's visiting with us from Seaburn this morning. He's kind enough to preach uh, and to share some encouragement. So, thank you, Matt. I hope it's an encouragement. <laughs> yeah, right? You're like, I hope. It's crazy. I don't normally point anyone out, but Ashley, dude, I haven't seen you since like before COVID. That's crazy. <laughs> right, right. So this morning we're going to get a chance to be in Hebrews uh, 11, and it's a pretty familiar uh, passage. So if you have a, your Bible, you can flip over there. <clears throat> If you have your phone, you can click a, click a few buttons. But have you ever had that feeling that you needed to, uh, to, to serve out of obligation? I, I mean, I've, I've, I've felt that so many times. Like I, I have to, like, I have to do this thing. Whether it's your job or, or ministry or, I mean, really, parenting. Like, I, I have to get up and parent this morning. <laughs> My wife and I have a 21 and an 18-year-old. We still have to get up and parent every day. <laughs> Maybe you're in that grandparent uh, stage of life. But I believe we can all find ourselves doing things out of a, out of a have to. And maybe it's not all the time, but... Maybe just every so often due to exhaustion or stress or just, you know, start filling in the blank. You, you've just had enough and you, you just really not have to anymore. 
This morning I'd like to take us on a journey that perhaps can lead us in these times from an attitude of this this have to to get to and maybe, just maybe, even all the way to want to. James uh, 1, 2 through 3 says this, Consider it all joy, my brothers, when you encounter various trials, knowing that the testing of your faith produces endurance. So when, when James writes to the 12 tribes who were dispersed, he begins with this expectation that they should have this want-to attitude. He says, consider it all joy. Why? Because going through hardships, uh, your exhaustion, stresses with an attitude of get-to, and a physical display of want-to, that joy, makes your faith Come alive, and not only alive to us personally, but it comes alive to the neighbors that surround us. Everybody seems to be watching. Every, have you ever felt like that? Like everybody's watching you, like you are on display for the Lord. Ephesians 2 uh, 8 through 10 says this For by grace you have been saved through faith, and that not of yourselves, it is the gift of God, not as a result of works that no one should boast. This is, the, this is the crazy part. It says, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So the, the obligatory service thing, or we'll call it the, the have to, uh, shouldn't exist in someone that is referred to as his workmanship. And so I think that it's pretty important to note that we were created for good works. The word works uh, doesn't evoke a thought of, I hate to say it, relaxing on a beach, reclining in a chair, Works normally, like you have that picture of sweat, getting up day in, day out, doing your job, tired feet, worn out bodies, exhaustion, stress, trials, action, accomplishments. For those who have surrendered their uh, their lives to Jesus Christ, we should have an understanding that if we find ourselves with this attitude of, I have to go to church today. Or I have to be on time to, to fill in my ministry spot. Or I have to be this lighthouse in my neighborhood. Or I have to be intentional in making disciples. We should, I believe we should be convicted to change. We are His workmanship. So we get to do all of those things. Our desire should be a want to do those things. So this morning we'll take a look at some individuals from from different paths of life to see how our life correlates uh, with our choices, our service, and our attitudes. Uh, and the main principle uh, this morning, I forgot that I had a PowerPoint. Yeah, our faith journey should include a willingness to change our attitude and choices to honor a good and gracious God. So we'll pick up our reading in Hebrews chapter 11, starting in verse 1. This is now faith is the assurance of things hoped for, the conviction of things not seen. 
For by it, the people of old received their commendation. By faith, we understand that the universe was created by the word of God, so that what is seen was not made out of things that are visible. So we're going to go over a number of case studies this morning, and it starts right in verse 4 with Abel, all right? So you can see the, uh, the story of Abel in Genesis chapter 4, but uh, uh, Hebrews chapter 11, verse 4 says, By faith, Abel offered to God a more acceptable sacrifice than Cain, through which he was commended as righteous. God commending him by accepting his gifts, and through his faith, though he died, he still speaks. The Abel, he was, he was an average guy, right? With a, with a focus on God's desires versus his own desires. He had a testimony that, that displayed uh, a desire to give the Lord his best, and not only his best, but the first that he had, the best. Abel's testimony of faith continues to speak volumes. So as he as as does his brother uh, Cain's, like his brother's testimony, Cain, his his testimony spoke a lot of volumes as well. But uh, I, I, I believe it was probably in a negative light. I don't think you can kill your brother and have a good testimony. It's just like, keep that in mind, Sarah. You cannot kill your brother and have a good testimony. <laughs> Cain was self-focused and only gave to the Lord out of an obligation. He had an a, a have-to attitude. And I believe Abel's testimony can speak to every individual here uh, that, who, who decided to even wake up this morning. And the question is, was there forethought last night that you'd get to meet with God and his people today? Think about your time and your talent, your treasures that the Lord has so graciously bestowed upon you. If you, if you graft out uh, the time that the Lord gave you last week, how many hours is there? Um, uh, 168 hours. If you graft that out, could people see that God was honored and prioritized in your life? Are you using your talents to reach out to your lost neighbors or encouraging believers in the church? And the question is, how often are you doing those things? Often enough that you believe the Lord is pleased with it? When you budgeted your income, uh, what's, what's first? Ooh, investing in God's people or investing in assets and entertainment? The second case study uh, is Enoch in verses 5 and 6. You can see his story in Genesis 4 and 5. But it says in uh, Hebrews 11.5, it says, By faith, Enoch was taken up so, he, so that he should uh, not see death, and he was not found because God had taken him. Now before he was taken, he was commended as having pleased God. And without faith, it is impossible to please him. For whoever would draw near to God must believe that he exists and that he rewards those who seek him. Despite, uh, despite being a child uh, from a dysfunctional family, Enoch, Enoch lived a life that is described as pleasing to God. He walked with God for 300 years, and then the Lord decided to just take him up. 
His faith over a long period of time was rewarded by doing something very, very unique with him. Uh, who, who here understands what a dysfunctional family looks like? I know. I, I, I think I have a good idea. Everybody in this room, like capital D, dysfunctional family, we all get that. Have you ever felt that maybe that has thwarted your ability to, to be your best? We can't allow our family history to hinder our walk with God. But we have to make personal responsibility and take, take that into account for our choices. I believe the Lord gets pleasure when His children overcome the baggage of parents who make poor choices. When they, draw, when they, when they choose to draw closer to Him when they struggle with the chains that have been placed around them on a difficult upbringing. See, Enoch had a dad who was a murderer and a grandfather <laughs> who committed the first sin. But that didn't drive him away from God. It drew him closer to him. If your family history is inundated with crime, divorce, addiction, abuse, sexual sin, you know what and who you should steer clear of. And if you're walking in faith, you know who you should draw closer to. Don't be surprised when... When you choose to draw closer to the Lord, that, that He does something unique with you as well. I think that that is pretty cool. The next case study is Noah. Uh, the story that you can find for Noah is in Genesis 6, 9 through 9, 29. But verse 7 says, By faith, Noah, being warned by God, Concerning events as yet unseen in reverent fear, constructed an ark for the saving of his household. By this, he condemned the world and became an heir of, of the righteousness that comes by faith. Noah was this obedient boat builder turned farmer. He was a man who didn't ignore a seemingly absurd request from God. Noah didn't grow up dreaming of the day that he would be a boat builder. That was never in his dream world. But then that request from God. He had trust and respect for the Lord, which produced a get-to attitude. And I believe that some of us will get the opportunity to do something for the Lord that seems uh, maybe absurd. Maybe move down to Ocala, Florida, Michael. Seems absurd. And move up to Ocala, Sarah. Move down from New England. And whether it's moving to a, a, a mission field or, or moving to Ocala, whatever it is, or young people going back to school, committing yourself to full-time ministry, volunteering to work with kids, even mowing grass. Whatever the request is, don't ignore it. Embrace that get-to attitude despite what everybody else might think. The next case study is uh, Abraham and Sarah. 
uh, in verses 8 through 12, and then a little bit of 17 through 19, we'll jump there. It says, by faith, Abraham obeyed when he was called to go out to a place that he was to receive as an inheritance. And he went out not knowing where he was going. By faith, he went to live in the land of promise as in a foreign land, living in tents with Isaac and Jacob, heirs with him of the same promise. For he was looking forward to the city that has foundations, whose designer and builder is God. By faith, Sarah herself received power to conceive even when she was past the age, since she considered him faithful who had promised. Therefore, from one man and him as good as dead were born descendants as many as the stars of heaven and as many as the innumerable grains of sand by the seashore. Jump to verse 17. It says, by faith, Abraham, when he was tested, offered up Isaac, and he who had received the promises was in the act of offering up his only son, of whom it was said, through Isaac will your offspring be named. He considered that God was able even to raise him from the dead, from which, figuratively speaking, he did, not, he did receive him back. Abraham and Sarah were a husband and wife who sought after God's promises, which for them included both land and family. And this was played out well beyond the expected timetable for the couple, but yet they remained. And perhaps if you read through the story of Abraham and Sarah, perhaps it wasn't always that get-to attitude due to having to wait on the Lord. Anybody, anybody get tired sometimes of just waiting on the Lord or waiting on your spouse? I'm impatient. I've got to get to where I'm going. But the Lord was patient with them as they gained the ability to see things how He sees them. The the final piece of the puzzle falls into place with the birth of Isaac. And then the Lord asked Abraham to offer up his firstborn son as a burnt offering. Another absurd request, seemingly. And this truly tests his resolve of a get-to attitude. He He was going through with sacrificing his son because he had faith that God would raise him from the dead. Although this isn't how it played out, Abraham's faith displayed that he had the opportunity to obey what the Lord was requesting, which was crazy. And I'm sure the parents in the room cringe a little bit when when you hear, like, God asked you to go put your son on an altar and offer him up as a burnt sacrifice. (laughs) Max, we're going up the mountain, buddy. That don't make a ton, of, a, a ton of sense on the surface. But don't miss out on this principle. I believe too often parents get their priorities twisted. Kids set the precedence. Many parents work diligently on, on running kids around to all of their activities and lose sight of their God-given spouse. Kids' sports take priority over corporate family worship all the time in our churches in this culture. God's desire is for parents to understand that your children are only on loan to you. Raise them by His standards. 
Raise them to understand a get-to attitude and a get-to go to church. Raise them to know that you will choose God over them any day of the week. Raise them to love their spouses. Raise them to know that you will choose dad over them any day of the week. Raise them to know that, they will, that you'll choose mom over them any day of the week. And I sit in marriage counseling or premarital counseling, and when you talk about kids, and they just like, no, my kids are my life. No, your kids are your kids. <laughs> your wife is your wife. Your husband's your husband, and your God is your God. Read Ephesians 5. I think it's pretty clear in there. If you get up on Sunday begrudgingly to go and worship, guess what the kids see? They see that. If you hold them in higher regard than your spouse, they, they notice that as well. The question is, do you, do, you, do you know why the number of post-high school students is so high but they, they, they walk away from the church? Like, it's, it's just a reality. After high school, they walk away. How many times have you heard of parents staying together because of the kids? <laughs> How'd that work? <laughs> right. <laughs> right. Like, we get it. We, we, we see it play out in front of our lives all the time. You get to be parents because God allowed you to be parents. And parents consist of a husband and a wife, so you also get to be a husband or wife. Work on it. Make sure your relationship with the Lord is prioritized. He wants to be first. And the thing that I've learned in Scripture time and time again He's not willing to share his throne with anybody or anything. The next case study is Isaac in verse 20. You can see his story in Genesis 21 through 35. It says, by faith, Isaac invoked future blessings on Jacob and Esau. Isaac was a child of promise. He perhaps grew up struggling with entitlement issues, which bled over into how he handled his sons, uh, Jacob and Esau, but never forgot to trust God for the future and was intentional in relaying that truth to his kids. And maybe you were that child who your parents adored more than anything in the world, or, or, or maybe you have that child who you know is the most specialist kid in the whole wide world. Being special or treating someone special, that's, like, that's not the problem. But examine whether there's an issue of entitlement. Isaac is listed as having relayed to his sons that the Lord's promises extended far beyond them. And I believe many people need to hear that. The principle also applies to those in our churches who believe the good old days are behind us. The churches of the past had something special. And churches today, well, we just don't get it. Being, being ran by a bunch of young folks that don't get it. God's resources weren't used up back in the day. Far too many people are walking around like God was pretty resourceful in, Amer in the American church for about 200 years. But now, I mean, it's gone to hell in a handbasket. I also have learned over the years that God's not dead. 
and he's surely alive. And there's a bright hope for the future. And and we need to relay that to those who are coming after us. Encourage them to look forward to what God has in store for them. That this truth, it's the same truth that was relayed in Isaac. God's promises extend far beyond the past. The next case study is Jacob uh, in verse 21. It says, by faith, Jacob, when dying, blessed each of the sons of Joseph, bowing in worship over the head of his staff. Jacob was a man desperate to leave a legacy. Jacob's body was failing. His his strength was, was diminishing. But he had the same hope of a future. He had those last pearls of wisdom that he imparted to his sons. And Hebrews specify, uh, specifies the blessings shared with the sons of Joseph. The words that he imparted to them were this The God before whom my fathers Abraham and Isaac walked, the God who had been my shepherd all my life to this day, the angel who has redeemed me from all evil, bless the lads. And may my name live on in them, in the names of my fathers Abraham and Isaac. And may they grow into a multitude in the midst of the earth. By you, Israel, will pronounce blessing, saying, May God make you like Ephraim and Manasseh. These these last words of wisdom contain some pretty astounding pearls. He begins with mentioning how he learned to follow the Lord. He gives credit to God for being the one who cared for him and and, and corrected him and championed him and provided for him and protected him. He he didn't want that testimony to end with him. He wanted them to carry it on and wanted the greatness of his God to be evident in their lives. This was part of the process of equipping the saints and making disciples who make disciples. I hate to say this, but for the older folks, and I'm, I'm starting to be in that category of the older folks in the room. If it's not you who's relaying that truth of God's Word to our upcoming generation, who is, who is it going to be? Who's leaving the pearls? The world is screaming out an agenda that is so contrary to God's design. We need to step up. We should be desperate, like Jacob, to leave a legacy built on God's word and be joyous of the opportunity, not dreading the chance like it's an obligation for us. The next case study is Joseph in verse 22. It says, By faith, Joseph, at the end of his life, made mention of the exodus of the Israelites and gave directions concerning his bones. Joseph was a man appeared to be displaced by the world's perspective, but trusted that God had him right where he wanted him to be. His faith gave him the ability to see his, and and later his family's displacement uh, was for a divine purpose. It also gave him the ability to trust all of the promises of God. He had faith that their time in Egypt was only temporary, and that their family would once again inherit the promised land. Have you ever been placed somewhere for, for whatever reason? 
And while you are doing your best to take every opportunity, others did their best to bring you down. Anybody ever been in that kind of a situation? When we walk in faith, it gives us an opportunity to peer into a, pur- into a purpose that's beyond anything that we can comprehend. I don't know why God lets his people wind up in certain situations or moves people around like chess pieces, but he does. He knows what he's doing. You can adopt an earthly perspective and face, face each new area of life with a have-to attitude or, or act like you're being forced into something or, or grasp that heavenly perspective. Colossians 3 says, set your mind on things, where? Above, not on things that are on the earth. And face each, each new area in life with a get-to attitude and make the most of each opportunity. Sometimes these are, these are tough concepts, but if we've been diagnosed with an illness or experienced uh, an accident that put you in the ER or doctor's office or pharmacy, take advantage of the place that God has you. If you've been placed in a, in a school or on a team, in a job or in a specific group of friends. Anybody ever wonder, like, why did God give me this group of friends? Come on. We all have those friends. Like, I would have never chose them, but God put them in my life. God has you there for a purpose. Use them as an opportunity to serve Jesus with a want-to attitude. The reality is that you have not been misplaced or displaced You have been God-placed. They have been God-placed. The next case study is Moses in verses 23 through 29. And you can find his story in Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy. It says in verse 23, By faith, Moses, when he was born, was hidden for three months by his parents because they saw that the child was beautiful and they were not afraid of the king's edict. By faith, Moses, when he was grown up, refused to be called the son of Pharaoh's daughter, choosing rather to be mistreated with the people of God than to enjoy the fleeting pleasures of sin. He considered the reproach of Christ greater wealth than the treasures of Egypt, for he was looking to the reward. By faith, he left Egypt, not being afraid of the anger of the king, for he endured as seeing him who is invisible." By faith, he kept the Passover and sprinkled the blood so that the destroyer of the firstborn might not touch them. By faith, the people crossed the Red Sea as on dry land, but the Egyptians, when they attempted to do the same, they were drowned. Now, I think it's fairly easy to assert why Moses has the largest section here. His faith journey was captured in four different books over a period of 120 years. The guy lived a full life. His faith was tested most, mostly during that 40-year stint leading the people of Israel throughout the desert. And Moses was a man who endured much testing. Tested by capability, patience, endurance, trust, emotions, and I'm sure the list could go on. And I believe that Moses is one of the best case studies this morning, and here's why. 
After his call from the Lord via the burning bush, we all remember that, we see a reluctance to accept that call. And I think it's safe to say that he didn't really want to serve in that capacity, how the Lord wanted, but he obliged. He led the people out of Egypt and did fairly well at maintaining an attitude of get to, and occasionally even he had an attitude of want to, but it certainly came with its challenges. We can all understand the challenges he faced, though. I think if the, if the Lord would have called Moses to, to leave Egypt and travel through the desert and enter into the promised land uh, all by himself, it would have went fantastic. But he didn't. The Lord called him to lead people out of Egypt. And he had to travel with a group of people. And take people all the way to the promised land. The problem wasn't the 40-year journey. The problem boiled down to people. We're a mess. Am I right? (laughs) And they tested Moses at every single turn. He got, to see the, the, he got to see God split the Red Sea and, and lead them by fire at night and in a cloud by day. He, he got to see God provide water for them and, and manna for them. He got to receive God's law up on Sinai. And he watched God work wonders for decades, four of them. But then Meribah, the people, of course, were up to their usual grumbling. They were like, why did you ever take us out of Egypt? We always had plenty to eat in Egypt. Want, 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 want. He appeals to the Lord in that situation. And the Lord says, take the rod. You and your brother Aaron, assemble the congregation. And he says, speak to the rock before their eyes and water. So he took the rod. Both he and Aaron assembled the people just as the Lord had instructed. And then his get-to got busted. And his have-to acted out. The opportunity to lead God's people changed to an obligation. His anger and his frustration became evidence because he didn't just speak to the rock. What did he do? He struck the rock. And although the people didn't care at all because they got what they wanted because water did come out, it came at a great cost to Moses. As we walk with the Lord, His desire is for us to be filled with more of Him and less of us. Do you think we would have let Moses off the hook if, like, if you were God in charge, the one that was in charge? Like, all right, the guy had enough of people and he hit the rock. All right, whatever. We would have let him off the hook. I know I would have because I'm so gracious. But God, as we learn throughout His Word, has some pretty high expectations and high standards. We need to be fully aware and in control of our actions and our choices. 
We need to work diligently throughout our faith journey in maintaining an attitude of getting to please our Father with our actions and our choices. Uh, will we have a, any struggles? Yeah. Are, are we going to have a lot of screw-ups? Yeah, absolutely. Like, we're going to have those. It doesn't release us, though, from the consequences when we do, though. Our testimony before the Lord and all of our lost neighbors is to be held in high regard. Never lose sight of the truth and be cautious not to get caught up in our emotions and our desires. God wants you to make right choices. And He's always been pretty clear what right choices actually look like. The next one is Joshua and Israelites in verse 30. It says, By faith... The walls of Jericho fell down after they had been encircled for seven days. And this group put themselves on the line to look ridiculous. Their faith made it possible to put aside the fear of becoming the laughing stock of the land. And this would take a, a team effort of get to. I'm quite positive the people of Jericho, as they were, you know, marching around their fortified city for six days, were just like scratching their heads going, these guys, what are they doing? You look ridiculous. But that seventh day, that puzzled look turned into a newfound respect for God's people when the walls came tumbling down. We live in a world where Christians are often the butt of many jokes. Our faith is being mocked by our government, our education system, and even some so-called churches. And I think that it's going to take a team effort to advance forward with an attitude of get to. Believe this. There will come a day when that puzzled look is replaced with a fear and reverence for our Lord. Hold dearly to the words that, that Paul wrote to the church at Philippi. It says, Therefore also God highly exalted Him and bestowed on Him the name which is above every name, that at the name of Jesus every knee should bow, of those who are in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and that every tongue should confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Laugh, ridicule, persecute, whatever. I get to serve my Savior. You get to serve your Savior. Amen? The next one is Rahab. In verse 31, it says, By faith Rahab, the prostitute, did not perish with those who were disobedient because she had given a friendly welcome to the spies. She was a, a woman who didn't always make the best life choices, but was willing to put all of her trust in the Lord and turned her life around to follow God. I love this. Even for those who didn't always make the best life choices, uh, who, who's, who's glad to hear that God can use you even though you didn't make the best life choices? Like, I'm like, like, I don't understand it, but he does, and it's so awesome. 
I love the, I love the end in verse 32 through 40. It seems like he's, he went case study by case study and gave some information, and then all of a sudden he just like clumps them in. All right, verse 32, it says, And what more shall I say? For time would fail me to tell of Gideon, Barak, Samson, Jephthah, and David, and Samuel, and the prophets, who through faith conquered kingdoms, enforced justice, obtained promises, stopped the mouths of lion, quenched the power of fire, escaped the edge of, of the sword, were made strong out of weakness, became mighty in war, put foreign armies to flight. Women received back their dead by resurrection. Some were tortured, refusing to accept release so that they might rise again to a better life. Others suffered mocking and flogging and even chains and imprisonment. They were stoned. They were sawn in two. They were killed with the sword. They went about in skins of sheep and goats, destitute, afflicted, mistreated, of whom the world was not worthy, wandering about in deserts and mountains and in dens and caves of the earth. And all these, though commended through their faith, did not receive what was promised since God had provided something better for us, that apart from us, they should not be made perfect. It just seems like the writer of Hebrews, it's like, cut it off for time's sake. Like, this is getting long. Let's just just cut through it all. There's certainly some individuals here that displayed quite the acts of faith, but as the writer of Hebrews, for time's sake, I think we'll probably end here the next chapter in just the few uh, few verses in chapter 12 says this therefore since we are surrounded by so great a cloud of witnesses let us also lay aside every weight and sin which clings so closely and let us run with endurance the race that is set before us looking to Jesus, the founder and perfecter of our faith, who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is seated at the right hand of the throne of God. Consider him who endured from sinners such hostility against himself so that you may not grow weary or faint-hearted. As we walk through our faith journey. Let's take notice of those who God has so intrinsically placed around us and pay attention to those that have gone before us. Let's do our best to keep our eyes fixed on Him and maintain an attitude that displays our, the opportunity and, and our desire to serve Him. I pray that our choices are honoring to the Lord. We're never going to make it into, a, into the book of the Bible, but I think that we can make choices that actually honor Him, and our attitude reflects that as well. Will you pray with me? Lord, thank You for the power of Your Word. Thank You for every one of these case studies, uh, the stories of each one of these people in your word that we, we get to see how they 
how their lives played out in honoring you. Lord, as we get to serve you in whatever capacity that is, working for you, making right choices for you, honoring you in front of our neighbors, Lord, I pray that each one of us here, each one of us online, by the power of your word, transforms our lives to better serve you. We fall before you and ask that you do something special in us and through us for you. In Jesus' name, amen.